the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and the cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Good morning. Uh, we were just singing that song, uh, saying over and over again, I just want to be with you. And I would guess that most of you, if not all of you, have something that gets in the way of that. Like you say, Lord, I want to be with you, but I just got this stuff that's in my life that just keeps tripping me up again and again and again. So I want to ask you to do something with me. Um, I, I want you to check in with the Lord. And um, I've got a little thing here that um, I just, I put six things that might be standing in the way. And I want you to check all that might apply. As you come in this morning, you know, everybody looks great and there's lots of smiles. And, and I don't think that's fake, but I just don't think that's the whole story for you. So I want you to look through this and just see if any, any of these might apply to you. Do you feel agitated this morning? Maybe aimless? Anxious? Alienated? Addicted? Afflicted? Check all that apply. I want you to know that whatever you might have identified of these, or maybe there's something else, that you're not alone, first of all, and you're not beyond hope. I hope that encourages you. Um, but those things still do stand in the way of what the, our whole series in Hebrews has been about. The Lord says again and again and again, draw near. And if you and I don't address these things that are in our hearts, we're not going to draw near. But those things could be what kind of push us that way, burdens that weigh us down. So honestly, before we get into the message today, I want to give you just a quick opportunity to go before the Lord. And I want you to bring your burden, whatever that is, to him right now, this morning. Give it to him. And then let's see what he does with his word and his spirit as you invite him to speak to that 
that uh, you may only know. So take just a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll get into Psalm 23. Lord, you tell us in uh, Hebrews 4, let us draw then with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Lord, we are needy people. You know that better than we do. But we acknowledge that before you today, and we give you our burden we ask you to speak. Speak through your word. Holy Spirit, guide us into all truth and change us. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting. Psalm 23 is known as a psalm of confidence. And as familiar as it might be and as much as we might kind of think we know about it or, or the way we think about it, it's very likely that David was in a very, very low place in his life when he penned this. But notice what he does in this very difficult place. He pens a psalm of confidence. Now, King David, the most famous king in all of Israel's history, in the Old Testament, he was first a shepherd. So he knew a lot about shepherding. But what's going to be interesting in this psalm is um, he's going to come at it from a very different place. As he was pinning this, whenever he did, whatever circumstances were surrounding him at that time, he is recalling truths that he learned while taking care of his father's sheep. And so notice the first phrase of this psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord, Yahweh, God, creator, he's my shepherd uh, I loved all that uh, Kevin was sharing about the entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem and the very obvious declaration that he was king. And we tend to think of God in those terms, and they sort of put him at a distance. And I get that. But for David, there is no more intimate image than that of a shepherd and his sheep. So this psalm is incredibly intimate. And as I mentioned, um, he's talking about the Lord being his shepherd. David knew a lot about sheep, and he identifies himself with them, not the shepherd. So we need to get to understand sheep. And as we do we actually understand what sheep need from their shepherd and then his ability to be everything that a sheep might need. 
Here's a statement in Isaiah 53, again, probably familiar to you, but we really need to understand this if we're going to understand sheep. He says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, sheep are just some of the cutest little animals on earth, right? And they're just so cuddly and cute and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, sheep struggle. (laughs) And if you don't believe me, I need you to watch this video and just take it in. Just receive everything that you need to from this video right here. Catch this. Ты же нас любишь животных. Абуша, отойди. Нет, сам. Он боится и так нас отойди. Я пойду. Абуша, отойди. Нет. Потяни сейчас. Там. Вверх потяни. Ой, умничка, Риад, умничка. Ногу не сломай только ему. Умничка, умничка. За обе ноги. Молодец, Риад. Умничка. Умничка. Все, операция удалась. That is awesome. And you will never forget that for the rest of your life. Now, let me remind you, as you're laughing your head off, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. How many times? Lord grabs you by the leg, pulls you out of a hole, and you just run about 20 yards down the road and jump right back in. (laughs) Isaiah 40 says, He will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs into his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. So grateful for that. David says not only that the Lord is his shepherd, but he says, I shall not want. Now, that doesn't mean that you and I will always get what we want. But you can take this to the bank. You will always get what you need from a good shepherd. Bob Deffenbaugh says this, a good shepherd is all a sheep needs since a good shepherd by his very nature will always supply all of the sheep's Needs. Now, this is um, figurative language. David is drawing upon images and pictures and ideas that help us understand the spiritual reality of his relationship with God. So here's what the good shepherd does for you and for me. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. If you haven't heard me say this before, then you haven't been here very long. But God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. I will say that again. God will always give us what we need to do what he's called us to do. 
So whatever we don't have, we can be confident that it either isn't good for us or we're not yet fit for it. And so we wait. And we wait content, saying with David, still yet again, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want. I will have everything that I need to be the sheep that he created me to be. David then moves into provisions that this good shepherd has made for him and for all of us. He says in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Throughout this psalm, David is going to repeatedly refer to the initiative of God. That's what a shepherd does. The shepherd never, ever, ever expects the sheep to take care of himself. Obviously, right? They would do a horrible job. They wouldn't live very long. So the shepherd is always initiating. And here he takes the sheep to green pastures, which represent nourishment and rest. Philip Keller, who wrote the book, A Shepherd's Look at... uh, I didn't put this on your outline, did I? A shepherd looks at Psalm 23. Fantastic resource if you've never read that. He says this, A hungry, ill-fed sheep is ever on its feet, on the move, searching for another scanty mouthful of forage to try and satisfy its gnawing hunger. David talks about being made to lie down in green pastures, which means... That sheep is full. He's satisfied. He has what he needs. So David is testifying to the shepherd's care, and here he's providing direction, oversight, and provision, which, spiritually speaking, is all forms of nourishment. And those sheep that gain that nourishment find rest. They're able to recline. Not only are are they in green pastures, uh, David says he leads me beside still waters. Water is obviously a necessity for anything that is living. Sheep cannot survive without it, but they can't distinguish between water that is pure and water that is polluted. They'll literally drink anything. And that could obviously be a major problem. Sheep need a shepherd that can distinguish between water that is good and water that is not. If it is left up to us to find good water, we're in trouble. Jeremiah 2.13, this is what God said to the prophet of his people, searching for water. My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. That's sheep with shovels. The good shepherd leads his sheep to water that will refresh and sustain them. 
and the banks of those fresh, pure springs are a place of peace. One of the interesting things from Keller's book that he says over and over again is that sheep, although again, we think of them, they're just so sweet and cuddly and all that kind of stuff, but honestly, they are very timid, agitated, anxious, without proper care, they're just frenetic. They, they, they literally lose their minds trying to navigate their surroundings. They need a shepherd to take them to a place of nourishment, rest, and peace. Here's a question of reflection based on those provisions that I ask myself. Am I content with the pastures and waters that my shepherd has provided for me? Am I content to stay in those places that he has made for me? Or do I need something else, something more that I think might be better for me than what he has provided? There are many times when I answer that question with, uh, I, yeah, I'm going to go check things out on my own and wander around. And these next words are truly encouraging. He restores my soul. When I'm off hunting for green pastures and I'm drinking toxic water, he finds me and he restores my soul. Now, one might think that a sheep that is taken care of by a good shepherd would never need anything. They'd never find themselves in a bad spot. So think again. Here is a picture of the peril of the cast sheep. Now, if you know sheep, you know what this is. A, A sheep can simply lie down in maybe even a comfortable place they have a heavy fleece or perhaps uh, bearing baby sheep or uh, maybe just overweight. They can literally, their, their center of balance can shift. They can roll over onto their side, feet up in the air, and at that point, they're done. There's no coming back from that. They'll literally end up upside down, feet shooting straight up in the air. And they will die in that place because they can't right themselves. A shepherd knows this, and a shepherd is incredibly, incredibly attentive, always watching his flock, looking for hooves. And when he sees them, he goes there as quickly as possible to help that sheep get back on their feet. It's intriguing to me. Of all the illustrations that Jesus could have used in Matthew 9, 36, listen to these words. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That word helpless is cast. He's looking for hooves. His sheep that he loves with everything in him laying on their back because they just lost their balance. And he comes along and 
restores them. He lifts them back to their feet, sets them upright. He restores them. He restores their soul. So how does he do that with us? Well, I would say that certainly we have three incredible resources that the shepherd uses to get us back on our feet. He uses his word, he uses his spirit, and he uses his people. So you and I may use, utilize those resources more or less. Here's what Psalm 19 says, particularly about God's word. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. So I, I know you guys have heard us say this again and again, and I, I hope that you're not weary of hearing it. But could there be any more motivation to be in the scriptures than the fact that you're laying on your back with your hooves in the air? This will revive your soul and mine. And there is nothing else, no opinion, no great communicator, no set of circumstances. There is nothing in your life that will get you back on your feet than the Word of God and the Spirit of God and the people of God coming around you. If you don't have time to be in the Scriptures, you're in trouble. And so am I. When you get into the word, we come to this next statement. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And those aren't just theoretical or inspirational or whatever. These are the right paths of life. And who knows better what is good and right then the good shepherd. A righteous path is one that is aligned with the heart and the character of the righteous one. So he alone knows where that is and he will take you there if you are willing to be led. Jeremiah 6, 16, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it. And here's the promise. Find rest for your souls. Are you agitated? Are you angry? Are you anxious? Are you addicted and afflicted? You can find rest in the ancient way, in the good way that the shepherd will lead you. The reflection here on this phrase might be, am I looking and asking and walking in the good way? And if not, your shepherd is glad to take you there, but he's going to have to take you there. You're not going to find your way on your own. Now, paths of righteousness are sometimes peaceful, but they can also be perilous. They can be really hard. I'm sure many of you know that. 
And so here's what David says about perilous paths. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Don't miss that shift there from third person to first person. Notice he was talking about the shepherd in a third person sort of way. He, and here he changes that. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. And you, he's sitting in that empty chair, you know, from our draw near picture. He's sitting there looking at his shepherd eye to eye. He says, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Valleys are inevitable. Death is common to the, to the human experience. But we need not fear because death is really no threat to the sheep of God. Yes, it ends this temporary life. But for the believer, for God's people, it's just a transition into eternity in the presence of the good shepherd. When you and I get that, when we lock that in, when that becomes as real as anything around us, we will fear no evil. I don't mean that we won't be afraid. That's a natural thing that God has put in us. But I just mean we won't be paralyzed by fear. We won't be dissuaded by fear. We will just continue to march on and follow after God. Because even if someone were to take your life, that's a very small thing to take in light of all that you get on the other side. Here's what Paul says in Philippians 1. To live is Christ and to die is what? What did you say? Do you believe that? To live is Christ. To die is gain. Paul says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Listen, if the enemy takes your life here, he's doing you a favor. That's a way different way of thinking about things, isn't it? But according to David, that is the truth. 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. This assurance, according to David, is God's presence, which we are tangibly given with the indwelling Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 tells us when you entrust your life to Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. 1 Corinthians 3.16 talks about the Holy Spirit dwelling in his temple, which he says you are God's temple. So you do have God's presence with you as a child of God, as a sheep 
of his flock. You have his presence 24-7. What a gift. His next image is uh, that of the tools of a shepherd. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod is a shepherd's weapon of defense. It's what he uses to protect himself and those sheep that are under his care. The staff is a tender tool used by the shepherd to do three things. To lift the sheep in a ditch. To draw, to pull the sheep near. And to guide the sheep to those green pastures and still waters. David says these things are comforting to the sheep. Those two tools provide protection and discipline. So a couple of passages that I think speak to that spiritually for us. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, here's his protection, he will Always, always, always provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So when you and I fall to temptation, and we all have, it is never because God didn't provide a way out. We simply chose not to follow it. And as you and I come to terms with that, then what we can do is we can go to our good shepherd And just say, I did it again. I don't celebrate it. I don't condone it. I don't excuse it. I acknowledge it. I confess it. And I ask him to put me back on my feet. And he's glad to do it. And perhaps the next time we see the way of escape and we take it. From a discipline perspective, we're going to get to this in Hebrews 12. But think of this again, where, where the Lord has to do some guiding or some correcting. Here's what the writer of Hebrews says. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So will you and I receive the care of the shepherd as reflected in the tools of the trade, the rod and the staff. Verse 5 is a shift. Um, Commentators land in different places. It looks like it could be a shift in metaphor. Um, I don't think that it has to be. Um, David says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The picture that could come to mind is that of a host. So if you think of uh, a host welcoming a guest and preparing a table for them. Um, The other idea is that this is still shepherd imagery. It's just a different context of of expression. Um, 
I tend to think that it is still shepherd language because David has done nothing to say, hey, I'm shifting uh, metaphors here. He was talking about his good shepherd, and he never changes his reference point, but he just says, my good shepherd prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I think Philip Keller, again, is helpful here. He speaks of seasons in a shepherd and sheep's experience where during the summer months, they would go up into the mountains to what they call the tablelands or the great mesas. Here's a, a great picture of that where there was lots of foliage for the sheep and they would spend extended times there. This would obviously be away from the home ranch, and here's where this metaphor makes a lot of sense. Would they be more or less vulnerable away from the home ranch up in the mountains? More, right. Lots, of, lots more exposure. The, the shepherd would need to really pay attention to any kind of predators that might be around or dangers away from the familiarity of home. And so that, that makes a lot of sense to me. So I read this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You take me into high elevations, away from home at times. And you prepare a table for me in the presence of all of that. We tend to think that in the presence of our enemies, there'd be nothing to eat. We might be deprived, but David is speaking of a feast in the presence of his enemies. That's a beautiful picture from a spiritual perspective, right? You have an enemy that hates you more than you can even begin to grasp. And his sole purpose with you is to steal kill and destroy everything about you. And yet the good shepherd says, I will prepare a table before you, a feast right in his face. And you can eat with your good shepherd, safe and secure. It doesn't mean that life will be easy. It doesn't mean that you will go on a life without pain. But it means, again, that the good shepherd will always be caring for you, providing for you, sustaining you, even away from the familiar territory of home. I came across an interesting reflection related to this phrase. Gerald Wilson, a commentator, said this. Like we would tend to focus in on God's provision of this feast for me. Here's what he says. I challenge you to seek to become a caterer at the table God prepares for those who are surrounded by enemies. So this feast isn't only for you. God may use you to provide a feast for someone else who is under attack. Great thing to consider. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Once again, this could definitely be uh, pictures of hospitality. A, a host would offer uh, oil for someone's head and 
a cup and a feast, all of that for a guest um, in the fields with sheep, there is anointing going on, particularly in what was known as fly season. So sheep, remember I said they're, ex- they're exposed, they're vulnerable, they're fragile, they can be kind of frenetic. In fly season, if they don't have a special oil applied to their head and to their nose, they literally can be driven insane. You might find a sheep beating its head against a tree because of the agitation of those flies. So the good shepherd applies this oil generously and repeatedly so that the sheep might find rest and peace even in the midst of all of the flies that would seek to agitate. This care looks like overflow. David says, my cup overflows, which he's talking about his life. And again, if this is written in a time of despair, of attack, of difficulty, he's talking about an overflowing life. How does he do that? It's because of the character of his shepherd. He has everything that he needs to find joy and gladness and peace, even in the worst of circumstances. With all that David's shepherd has supplied, he declares with great assurance, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The goodness that is referenced there is everything that he has been celebrating throughout this psalm. This is a psalm of confidence. These are all of the things that the good shepherd has done for him that he could never do for himself. Mercy is hesed love. That's the literal word there. God's covenant love. It is interesting to me that while... He has been talking about the shepherd leading, which would assume the shepherd is out front. He shifts here to these things, goodness and mercy, following him. Two possible, maybe complementary ideas. That word follow has the idea of pursuit. So you might say that goodness and mercy are going to pursue me, follow after me, chase me down, even when I might wander from the way. And then secondly, goodness and mercy are going to be a legacy behind me in the lives of all the people that I have served as I've been making my way through life. Both of those are tangible outworkings of the shepherd's covenant love. And then his reference to dwelling in the house of the Lord forever Um, Honestly, David probably didn't have a very developed idea of eternal life or even afterlife. So he's probably just speaking of the rest of his life without knowing how long it would be or all that would be involved in that. He says, for the rest of my life, I will dwell in the house or the presence of the Lord. And that idea of dwelling 
really has an idea of returning. So let's just say that David is in exile while he's writing this psalm, celebrating his good shepherd. And he has this idea that in light of all that God has done for me, in light of the great affection that he has toward me, my destiny is sure. I will be in his presence, not just figuratively or conceptually, but in a very real way. I will always return to dwell in the presence of my good shepherd. That not only captures his longing, but if it's true, it must also capture the Lord's approval. The Lord certifies these words and thinks the same thing of you. Well, in uh, conclusion, as a so what for today, you identified maybe something that was a burden to you. And I asked you to give that burden to the Lord and ask him to speak through this psalm to your circumstance. So I want you to take a moment. I'm assuming that the Holy Spirit, who guides us into all truth, wants you to leave today with something from this psalm of confidence that speaks to your need. So just take a moment, close your eyes, ask the Lord, what is that? What is that one thing that I can take with me from Psalm 23 about my good shepherd? that we brought to you today it's no surprise I'm sure that you want us to see our need even far more than we want to see it ourselves but Lord as we see it we bring it we entrust our burden to you and we ask you as the good shepherd to do what needs to be done to change us to help us grow and Lord even to use us until we take our last breath of this life and are ushered into your presence for all of eternity thank you
you for loving us. Thank you for your faithful covenant love. Lord, help us to walk in that, to walk in the good way as we uh, leave this place today. I pray that in Jesus' name.